You are listening to The Airing Cupboard, the podcast where the extraordinary stories of ordinary people get an airing. Phew, that's a mouthful. Welcome back to The Airing Cupboard. Thank you. Now, some people I heard of doubted the veracity of whether we're actually sitting in the air and covered. I know, I have heard that rumour too. Well, we had to prove it to some. <laughs> much as it seems a strange idea to be sitting in a hot airing cupboard in the middle of August or the beginning of August in an English summertime, we are indeed sitting here because the sound... I know, exactly. ...amongst the uh, sheets, blankets, towels, yeah, t-shirts... Surrounded by stuff which is all made of fabric, which is literally a just perfect studio, I reckon. Mm. So I hear you've got uh, a story that's been sent in from one of our listeners. Yes, yes. Uh, it's a story that was sent in my website about two weeks ago. Um, this lady is French and she was brought up in Paris and she contacted me saying that she had been quite moved by the story of the little orange lady which was the very first story that we voiced on this channel and um, she said she was moved by this story because she was walking the streets of Paris at a very similar time and maybe just maybe their path might have crossed although of course without knowing she was born in Paris a year after the end of the war. She was born into a very artistic family. Her father was a musician and her mother a sculptor. And she was the youngest of five children. The house was always full of music and art and interesting people. The conversation around the, the dinner table, her parents were always welcoming new and intriguing guests. The conversation would never be boring. They spoke politics and philosophy and religion and sex. There were no, no taboos. I suppose her parents were quite avant-garde and the children were educated in that very vibrant atmosphere. But she said that sometimes it was a little hectic and a little unsecuring for the child that she was. From a very early age, she showed good aptitudes with colours and shape and textures. And it wasn't a great surprise to anyone when she decided to study fine art at the Académie des Beaux-Arts in Paris. The people she met there and spent time were quite similar to the ones she had shared dinner with at her parents' table during her childhood. And obviously she fitted without effort. But there was a part of her that was longing for the bourgeois world, its order and its conformity. Maybe the part of her was running tired of the bohème and also she wanted to experience something new. And so one night she was invited into that world by an old school friend of hers. So it was one of those grand dinner party, dinner and dance in the 16e arrondissement in Paris. And there she met a young, tall, bright and amazingly seductive barrister. 
she said, and I'm using a word here, he had me at hello. So they danced until the small hours of the morning under the thousands lights of the candelabra. And then next afternoon, he was downstairs in her house, asking her father's permission to take her out. They were engaged six weeks later. And she somehow remember her mother voicing her concerns about the pace of the relationship. She asked her not to rush into marriage too quickly, just to enjoy the time and see where that leads. I suppose she was concerned about the difference in social and cultural backgrounds. They really came from two very different worlds, really. But they were in love and they were married in the autumn of 1967. She says that as early on as their honeymoon, she realized that they were somehow out of sync. Somehow they didn't manage to reach each other. They were both desperate to understand one another, to be understood. But somehow her soul had no resonance in his emotional space, neither his in hers. They were both acutely aware of this and somehow lonely together. The children came quickly, however, a daughter first and then a son. And she says that as much as she felt lonely in her life as a wife, she was utterly fulfilled as a mother. She lived for her children. They were all her life. Her husband often spent the week away in Bordeaux. His work took him there and, and she spent quite a bit of time on her own with the children. And her energies were probably running a little low. Her mother must have felt that. And so her mother announced herself for a five days visit. And she arrived with all her exuberance, trailing behind her the vibes of the life that her daughter had left behind her. Her mother was only too aware of her daughter's unhappy marriage. Her daughter didn't need to tell her she had always been able to read her like a book. So once she got unpacked in the apartment in the early afternoon, the mother told her daughter that she should take some time for herself put a pretty dress on, meet some friends, go out, be merry. The mother would be in charge of the household. So that sent her into a panic. She hadn't been in touch anymore with any of her old friends. She hadn't even been painting. She had lost touch with herself, really. So she decided for the safe option. She would go to an exhibition in an art gallery that she liked. She put a dress on, no lipstick, and she decided to wear her hair down, something that she didn't do anymore. She arrived at the art gallery late afternoon and walked straight in. And she saw it immediately, there, on the end wall. 
It was an oil painting of a very large tree, a lime tree. Its branches were wide and protecting, and it was casting a beautiful shadow onto the green grass beneath it. And next to its trunk, there was an old iron bench. And the entire painting was painted as if looking from behind it, looking from the back. The whole thing was ever so green, ever so vibrant, and at the same time, so soft. And as she stood in front of the painting, looking at it, she thought how much she would like to be sitting on that bench under this beautiful protecting canopy. And then she heard this voice in this sweet English accent behind her that said, I wonder how it would feel to sit on that bench. So she turned quickly back, ready to sort of put some distance between herself and the, this intruding voice. And she saw him. He wasn't a very big man. He was very slim, dressed in a corduroy jacket, and he had an open shirt, no tie, no bow, no scarf. He had tortoiseshell glasses and a big flop of blonde hair and a beautiful shy smile. It was instant. And she saw it in his eyes also. There was something there that happened between them. They started chatting and they looked at the other paintings. He was an art critic from London and he was working a few weeks a year in Paris. And they enjoyed the rest of the exhibition together. And he then asked her if they might like to have coffee together. As he just knew a place where there was a big tree just like the one on the painting. And she heard herself say, yes. And she also heard her soul sing. So he took her through tiny little street, places she had never been, surprisingly. And they arrived at a dead end. And there, there was just an arcade in front of them. They had to go through this arcade and that led them into a beautiful courtyard. And in its center was a massive lime tree, just like the one on the painting. Under it, there were 10, 15 tables with white tablecloths. So they sat and they spoke and spoke. The familiarity was truly uncommon. The coffee was soon replaced by pichet of red wine and a simple meal. And when darkness came, little candles were placed on each table. And she said that the reflection of those candle lights danced on the lens of his glasses and she sat back listening to his soft and beautiful English accent, slightly inebriated, looking at the canopy above her, her head right back. She was feeling alive, so alive. She arrived back at her apartment in the small hours of the morning. As she walked into the kitchen, 
She was a bit surprised to find her mother sitting at the table in her kimono and all her grey hair piling on her shoulders and smoking and drinking a bottle of champagne that her husband and herself had been given. The mother looked at the daughter. She smiled and she said, Do not ask me any questions and I shall not ask you any either. She advised her to go to bed, to sleep in the morning, and her mother was going to be taking care of the children and the household. She had it all in hand. So her mother went back after the five days, and amazingly, they never discussed together the night of the big lime tree. Her husband came back from Bordeaux, and life resumed, but she carried on meeting with the Englishman four and a half months. She had never been so alive. She had never felt so vibrant. She lived for those stolen moments when they met under the big lime tree. But she wasn't a woman that could live two lives at once. And quickly she realized that it couldn't last, it couldn't be. He lived in England, her children were small, they desperately needed her, their father in a secure home. Her husband desperately needed her and she felt it was vital to them and that their happiness was vital to her. So they said their final goodbyes one late afternoon and she said that when she left the tortoiseshell glass man she didn't walk, she ran as she knew that she needed every strength in her body to tear away from him. She suffered a small breakdown the months that followed. Her husband never asked her any question. He just watched her slowly regain strength. She made sure that she kept right away from anything that could have brought her close to the Englishman or seeing him, like art exhibition, galleries, However, she started painting again. Something had opened up in her. And the first thing she painted was a small gouache reproduction of the oil painting of the bench under the big lime tree. She painted this on a small card and she kept it always as a bookmark in every book that she read from that time. It was always a bookmark. And in actual fact, one day it provoked an argument between herself and her daughter, by then a teenager, because her daughter had borrowed a book, had not been careful, had taken the card out, put it on a bedside table and put a dirty cup of coffee on it. And great big ring stain appeared on the gouache reproduction. The mother went quite mad. The daughter did wonder why was the overreaction, but obviously nothing could be 
explained. Now I need to fast forward 20 years. By that time, she is still living in Paris. Her husband has passed away with pancreatic cancer two years before. She says that they had had a happy life together. They somehow had found a happy way to be together. And although, of course, it had not been perfect, time and shared experience had brought them strangely close. They were somehow rooted together and his leaving had left a massive gap in her life. And the children were grown up, they had their own life. Her daughter was married with two children of her own and she was living in Paris, close to her, and she was working in an art auction house. Anyway, one night, quite late, she called her mother out of the blue and she asked if they could meet up. The daughter said she needed to clear her head and there was something that she needed to discuss and she really needed a mother at that time. So they met up in a small restaurant, which, by the way, was not too far from the big lime tree courtyard. And there, the daughter told her mother that this man had appeared in her life. She was confused and his presence in her life had completely threatened the whole balance of her family life. And somehow, the mother found herself telling her daughter about the Englishman all those years ago and the painting of the big lime tree and the courtyard restaurant. They reminisced about the gouache reproduction and the coffee stain incident. And the mother explained to her daughter that sometimes life takes many twists and turns and you are never quite sure where you might end up. It was a very memorable evening for both of them, for all sorts of reasons. But the thing is, a few months after this, the daughter called her. She told her that she was aware that a painting called the Lime Tree was going to be sold, part of a lot on such day at such auction house and she told her mother that she knew it was the painting that they had been speaking about and that maybe she would enjoy seeing it after all those years. So when the day came, she went. She went a little bit for herself, a bit for her daughter and a bit for him too. The room was large and full. They were selling some important lots before the one that she was interested in and literally all the art world was there. She sat on one of the very last row and she was enjoying the electric atmosphere of the sales room. She was looking around herself. Dealers, amateurs, collectors, artists. And then she saw him. On her left, he was leaning against the pilaster. Her heart raced and she had a hot flush. He hadn't changed 
maybe a little rounder, a lot greyer, and he still had his tortoiseshell glasses on his nose. She could see his profile so well, and he was intently following the auction. He had a small notepad in which he was taking notes. She just couldn't take her eyes off him. And then the sales assistant came in with the painting of the big lime tree. He put it on the little stand, ready to be auctioned. And the auctioneer started. And at that very moment, he turned his head to his right and he saw her. And she knew immediately he recognized her. After 25 years. Yeah, about that, about 25 years. And they gazed at each other over the sea of heads. And at that very moment, they were alone in the world and the time stood still. And that's how she finishes the story. Mm. So she didn't let us into what happened after that? No, she didn't. But the only thing that I can say is that this is all written in English. So I have a little hope that maybe her life took her to England. But we shan't know. She's not telling us. So she found his accent sweet when he was speaking French, didn't he? Yes, that's what she said. She says it twice, actually. Mm. That she thought um, his English accent was, um, was very sweet. In actual fact, I mean, it's true. Um, a British accent is beautiful in French. There's something very soft about it and, um, yeah, and very sweet, yeah. So, uh, yeah. On, on Saka. Peut-être je dois parler français maintenant. Merci pour cette histoire. Peut-être est possible à trouver qu'est-ce que se passe après. Ok. Maintenant, je suis très impressionnée. Merci beaucoup. Merci. Merci pour ça. Et maintenant, je dois départ parce que je suis très chaud. Au revoir. Au revoir.